630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Your captain, Connor McDavid, did not skate today at the annual Bile Steel Camp in Calgary. Of course, he's still getting over that left knee injury suffered in the final game of the regular season. You all remember it when he crashed into the goalpost taking on the Calgary Flames. Turned out he had a small tear in his posterior cruciate ligament. Here's what he's telling you about his recovery. Progressing well. Um, no making progress every day. Were there any setbacks at any point? It's been different, uh, obviously just focusing on that. Um, you know, it's, it's taken a lot of time, but um, you know, it's been good. When did you get back on the ice, or have you been back on the ice? I got back on the ice uh, a couple months ago. What's your timeline, do you know? Uh, like I said, we're just working towards uh, getting to camp here. Is there any concern you might not be ready to go on the ice for camp? Like I said, we're just uh, just working hard to, to get to camp, and we're focused on that. It's, it's coming back together and everything like that, but um, ultimately we you know, don't want to come back too early and, and, and make sure that uh, it's fully healed and, and you're not going to get hurt again. Um, you know, but I'm not too worried about that either. All right, so there's a little bit from McDavid speaking today in Toronto. As he said, he has been skating for a couple of months, focusing on his rehab as we are... Well, about uh, six weeks away from the start of the NHL regular season, October 2nd for the Edmonton Oilers training camp starts on the 13th. So McDavid and his recovery will be uh, a big story. Decided not to skate today, but he did say that he has been skating. And of course, Connor will have yet another new coach. Going to be the third of his NHL career. He had McClellan, he had Hitchcock, now he has Dave Tippett. Yeah, we had a dinner um, a couple weeks ago, and it was good. You know, nothing, uh, nothing too serious. So we're working towards, obviously. Um, you know, we're still super early. I mean, we haven't even got together yet, so um, and we made some changes, and, and hopefully that works. All right, so there is the latest on Connor McDavid. Meanwhile, one of the best players in the Canadian Football League suspended for two games following a positive drug test. Andrew Harris of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You saw him here on Friday night. Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium helped the Bombers beat the Edmonton Eskimos for the second time this season. Now, he uh, said he was tested March 1st, July 2nd, and again on July 12th. It was after that third test. He was notified of the positive result, but Harris says he did not knowingly take performance-enhancing drugs. I would never intentionally cheat. And I'm in a situation right now where I'm being questioned, and it hurts. I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this game and worked my butt off to be where I'm at. And, uh, you know, now it's being questioned, and and, uh, it's tough. Harris saying that uh, he believes this is a case of product contamination. Now, both his A sample and his B sample came back positive. So really, the B sample means you now can't appeal this. I've been tested three times this year. I've been tested more than any other player in my four years that I've been here. And I've never had an issue. I've never had a, um, anything come up. And um, this timing and, and volume is the one thing that I kind of had on my side. And... Um, when I first found out, I didn't didn't even really believe it. I, I was kind of beside myself, and um, I just wanted answers. So um, getting that B sample was something that we went through, and um, it was the same answer. So I, I mean, 
there's at that point there's not much you can do else after. Right. It's been emotional the last few weeks. So uh, my teammates have been very supportive. Um, they know how much I care about them and 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 this season, and um, they know that I would never again do 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 something like this intentionally. So um, their support's been great. His head coach is Mike O'Shea. Disbelief and 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 feel for the guy, you know. Um, Andrews works so bloody hard to get to where he's at, you know, and and to do things the right way. So certainly shock and then want to make sure he's okay some of the headlines from today and of course another big story from the weekend Andrew Luck the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts retiring we'll have a guest on to discuss that the Edmonton Stingers season ended on Saturday the first year of the Canadian Elite Basketball League it ended yesterday with the Saskatchewan Rattlers winning the title over the Hamilton Honey Badgers will uh, wrap up the year and look ahead for the league I think uh, a lot of positive stories for the CEBL leisure one of the top dogs with the CEBL will be on tonight as well. Blake Dermott in a few minutes for more on uh, his reaction to Andrew Harris on that Eskimos loss to Winnipeg on Friday night. It is International Dog Day. I'm Rocket Wilkins' buddy, Reed. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 6-12. You can text 630-630. You can call 780-496-0063. Jim texting in. He says, uh, Harris is full of crap. I guess McDonald's put the substance in his burger. He just wasn't expecting to get tested again after two weeks. He gambled and he got caught. Man up. That is Jim texting in to uh, 630-630. Always good to hear from you, Jim. Absolutely. In the spirit of International Dog Day, I, I propose this as our off-topic topic. Most athletic dog you have or have ever had, and if your dog... Uh, what what sport did you imagine your dog playing if you ever did so? Because I can tell you, with my dog Animal, who lived a glorious poodle life till almost the age of uh, 18, finally going to the big football field in the sky in 2006, I always imagined Animal as the speediest, most dangerous wide receiver kick returner in football history. That's how That's how I saw my speedy little boy. So uh, for fun, you can text 630-630. Most athletic dog you've ever had. And uh, what sport would have he or she excelled at? And, and what position? I would love to hear about that on the text line. And, of course, you can write in about Harris, McDavid, the Eskimos, the Oilers, whatever else is on your mind tonight. We are going to call a quick timeout, and we'll bring our buddy Blake Dermott on the show to talk some CFL. for tuning in tonight man some good text coming into 6:30, this one's uh well tim i appreciate you sharing this obviously a, a a sad ending to your boys time with you 
but I, I could tell you loved him. Tim says, I had a dog named Rex. He would have been an Olympic swimmer. He was the best retriever for ducks. He passed away at the age of 14. He went out on thin ice, and unfortunately, he fell through, but he was a champion. That uh, Thanks for sharing that, Tim. I appreciate it. Jim says, I had a border collie who worked on my farm. Awesome dog. Very eager to work and to please. He would have been a forward in hockey. I got tired of looking at him work back and forth, back and forth all day. That is from Jim. I'll get to more of your text at 630-630. Our off-topic topic is a fun one for uh, International Dog Day. Uh, the uh, most athletic dog you have or had had. And if you ever imagined your dog playing a sport, what sport would have that been blake we have never discussed uh whether you are a canine lover but does anything uh, fit the bill for you there well if i we've had uh, we've had three dogs <clears throat> and the first dog was a uh, was a black lab and his name was butkus <laughs> so <laughs> after the linebacker yeah he was uh, actually he was named after uh, rocky uh, in the first movie rocky the second movie rocky had a dog and his dog was butkus oh, okay and i used to run with him every night and uh he was a big black lab, and he probably would have been some sort of a football player, probably a special teamer, just one of those guys that just runs downfield and runs into things. That's kind of what he was like. <laughs> Didn't need the glory, but he would go <laughs> knock somebody over. That's that is, right. Uh, that is awesome. Okay, I, I want to read a couple of texts. I, I was uh, started the show with some audio from Connor McDavid, with some audio from Andrew Harris. I mean, that's a big story. Harris is one of the best players in the league over the last uh, decade or so. You know, John offers this opinion. John says it's pro sports, not amateur. I don't care what they take. When I watch baseball, take whatever makes you hit a home run. And in football, take whatever makes you fast. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to agree with that. Uh, uh, Blake and Andrew Harris says this was something contaminated, says he didn't do anything on purpose, but uh, definitely something that has people talking today. Well, yeah, I was kind of surprised uh, when, I, when I saw that story today as well. But but one of the things I do know that it, there are so many supplements now that are that come out and um, and are are not regulated with respect to banned substances. I mean, they're not banned to be sold uh, over the counter, but they have items in it that are banned uh, amongst sports leagues and associations like the Olympics and and uh, um, uh, so so it's something that players have to be aware of and and now they're testing at all all different levels uh, i know at the uh, at the junior level and and football that i'm coaching at kids get tested um for banned substances and uh and so certainly at professional level uh, the fact that he's been tested as much as he has over the last uh, number of years is a little bit uh, alarming but uh, my understanding is that they, the testing is done based on a random test. And, and I, uh, a long, long time ago, I knew a, um, a guy who uh, was uh, on Canada's Olympic lift, lifting team. And I asked him how that random testing was done. He said it was based on the 649 lottery. You were given a number, and if your number came up in a draw, you had to get tested. You could get tested three times, three weeks in a row. But it was, that's how it was done. That's how random it was done. So, so uh, and, and I don't know what that system is now, but uh, Andrew Harris got caught with something in the system that he says uh, he was unaware of and, and didn't take anything. Um, I, I don't know if I, uh, how do you, I don't know if I can believe that stuff anymore. Like, I don't know what's right and what's wrong because uh, there's been every, every, not a single guy has come out and said, yeah, I did it. And then been found to be correct. Right. You know, they're yeah. all, they've all said, no, I didn't do it. So how do you know if he did or not? Yeah, and, and I mean, and, and that texture, and I, you know, I don't know if that texture is being a little bit, uh, you know, sarcastic or, or whatever, but there are some, you know, some, and, I, you know, this topic comes up on a, on a show like this every every year or two, and certainly the Olympics, 
then you get all these people losing medals. And sometimes fans will say, you know what, fine, let them take it. If it's going to shorten their lives or make them sick later, but they, they, they're willing to pay that price, then, then, then fine. I'd sooner have that than cheering for someone that I thought won a medal and then finding out a week later that's not the actual result anymore. It's, it's one of those really interesting topics when it comes to sports for sure. Okay, uh, another text here James, uh, from, from uh, James Blake. Uh, this guy's clearly been watching some football this year. He says, hey, Reed and Blake, three reasons the Eskimos are six and four and not at least eight and two. Poor execution, penalties, and turnovers in the red zone. <laughs> that is from James, probably sharing some frustration with a lot of Eskimos fans over the last few days. Yeah, well, he's not, uh, he's not uh, incorrect. Uh, the... Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the stats from last week's game and or last uh, yeah last Friday and and uh, you know it wasn't like they they uh, it played terrible you know look at everything that they did um, almost five well over 500 yards of offense 489 yards of net offense they gave up uh, 251 so they had twice as much offense as their opponent they won the time of possession battle by almost three minutes. They took only seven penalties, which is below the league average, which is, uh, which is considerably below their average for this season, for mm-hmm. 77 yards. They um, didn't give up a big play on special teams. They, seemed, they seemingly did everything right, but they were 0 for 3 in the red zone. And uh, right there is the telling stat for that. They, for, for whatever reason, and, and uh, he, he mentions execution. Well, we've been saying that all along. The Eskimos have been saying that all along. Uh, uh, Harris said that after the game. Trevor Harris said that after the game, the execution. You know, they, it's, it's whatever is happening to them once they get inside the 35-yard line is something that they have to correct. Now, they, they did really well against Toronto the week before, and uh, they were, you know, 100% in their, in their uh, red zone production. And, uh, but the difference in that game was, and this is what I, I, I said that uh, I was talking to somebody after the game, the Toronto game, their first three possessions, they went down the field and scored. Now, that's the first time that's happened since, I don't know, it's a, in two years anyways in the CFL, but I think it was the first time that it happened for the Eskimos in almost 17 years. So, so they were able to go down the field. Well, when you do that, you got all kinds of confidence, and, uh, and your concentration level is at a, at a peak. And that, uh, when the Eskimos went down the field in this game uh, against Winnipeg, they had a, a really nice long pass. Uh, they got down about the 10, 12-yard line and then stalled. And then immediately you start gripping the club a lot tighter. And I think, I think if they'd have had success right off the bat, it would have been a different story. I think that, you know, the, uh, um, the weather conditions, everybody's got to play in them, but the conditions, the ball being a little bit soggy and wet, and Edmonton being a team that throws the ball considerably uh, better than any other team, that might have impacted. I, I asked the question of Trevor Harris, a little pointed after the game, and I don't think he appreciated it, but I, but I asked it anyways because there was three instances in the game where he had guys running five to ten yards behind the, the defensive backs of Winnipeg, and he basically underthrew the ball. And the, um, they had, the uh, Eskimo receivers had to almost come to a complete stop to catch the ball. Now, if he'd have been able to hit those guys in stride, there's 21 points. Well, one of them did turn into a touchdown on the last, on the last drive of the game. But two earlier ones than that, that would have been the margin of victory for the Eskimos. And getting those kinds of things to happen early is really important for a team that puts up the numbers they do. They're still fragile on offense. 
Uh, Harris leads the league in passing yards by over 1,000 yards on the next best passer. C.J. Gable is the second leading rusher in the league. The Eskimos have two of the top four receivers in the league, and they've allowed the second fewest points. And so, I mean, we're sitting here at 6-4. and four. Hey, okay, you're above average. First place might be tough. You got a shot for, for second. But, but, yeah, with some of those numbers, Blake, and things you're talking about, I think that's why we're saying, man, if they could have got that seventh or eighth win and look more like an excellent team as opposed to an above average one, maybe yeah. we'd feel a little better. All right, well, I, gotta... well, here's a, I just want to quickly add this. Um, this is the thing. The Eskimos are leading the league. They're like, they're like shooting firecrackers all over the place, and, and fireworks are going off in their offense. And then their defense is phenomenal. And, and everybody is up in arms because, uh, you know, they, they, they haven't been better and won more games. Then you got Winnipeg on the, oh, that's, that's only lost two games this year, and they want to get rid of their starting quarterback because they're not happy with him. Right. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, well, fans are that way. Uh, <laughs> they'll always be that way. I don't think they're ever completely happy until they see the you know, championship trophy at the end of the year. The Eskimos are in not a bad position. They're, uh, I mean, it's a real difficult Western Conference. And with Andrew Harris out now and Nichols out, I don't think, and we, you and I talked about this uh, the morning after the game, that I don't think that Strebler is a sustainable quarterback in the CFL. So, okay, yes, that's, we're, what's that? we're into the final 90 seconds here. Okay. So that's my last question. Like, who is this guy? Like, wh- what is this guy? Like, <laughs> what's the scouting report? I, I know he's not new. But, like, how do you look at, at Strebler? Well, just that. Like, Strebler, the, the, the Eskimo defense got beat by a Wildcat offense. Because in, in professional football, when you've thrown the ball uh, 30, I think it's 31 times or 32 times in the last two games, and you've still won those games, somebody's going to figure you out. They're going to realize that you can't throw the ball. You can't throw the ball to save your life. And, uh, and that's the thing that the Eskimos didn't do a good enough job of. Uh, yeah, Andrew Harris, Strebler, both ran for 100, they combined 189 yards or something, and uh, and they were able to move the ball when they needed to move the ball. And uh, uh, but some team is going to shut down the run and force Strebler to throw. And if he has to throw the ball 30 times, you know he's going to throw three picks, and that uh, they're going to lose the game. So there are some awfully smart defensive coordinators out there. There are some awfully disciplined teams, and uh, without the threat of Andrew Harris in the backfield, without the the, the physical quarterback and tools, Nichols, they're going to find out what Strebler's all about. And I think that he's, not a, he's a good athlete. He's a fantastic athlete. Don't get me wrong. But he's not a quarterback yet. He's a Tim Tebow. And where's Tim Tebow now? Fair point. Blake, uh, going to be a fun week. Uh, Labor Day, obviously, is the next game for the Eskimos. Uh, hopefully they can finally get a win down there in Calgary. Always great to have you on the show, buddy. Okay, thanks a lot, Reed. As Blake Dermott checking in, former Edmonton Eskimo, now our analyst for the games right here on 630 Chad. We will uh, keep the football talk going. We'll go to Indy for more uh, for a more in-depth look at the Andrew Luck story. And uh, another great story out of the little town of Callahoo. That's all coming up. So Prairie football on the weekend. Huskies over the Wildcats 42-2. My goodness, the Huskies go to 2-0, Wildcats 0-2. They will host the Calgary Colts Saturday at 7 at Clark. The Huskies will host the Saskatoon Hilltops Sunday at 1. 
at Clark. FC Edmonton, a 2-2 draw yesterday with the York 9. The uh, FC, uh, the Eddies will play in Halifax on Labor Day. They are 3-2-4 in the fall session, third in the fall standings. Three points back of Forge FC, but Forge does have two games in hand. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Edmonton Stingers losing the CEBL semifinal to Saskatchewan 85-83. The other semi was also an upset. The Hamilton Honey Badgers over the Niagara River Lions. 104-103, and then Saskatchewan won the championship 94-83 over Hamilton. It was an end-of-season tournament in Saskatoon. So Saskatchewan, even though they finished third, basically had home court advantage. Uh, We're going to have Lee Genier on the show a little bit later on to talk about the the first year of the CEBL, what happens next, how healthy are the franchises moving along here. And I want to ask about having actual playoffs where the higher seed will get to host games as opposed to having a a year-end tournament. But uh, pretty positive overall, I thought, for the CEBL. Uh, I mean, they, they, they got pretty good crowds for the Stingers here in Edmonton. And uh, I sensed the people who did go were pretty enthusiastic and got into the team. So that's pretty good to hear. International Dog Day. On the text line, 636-30, your most athletic dog, what sport would have he or she excelled at? This texture says, Sydney, my German shepherd, border collie cross, could leap off a dock into the lake and catch a frisbee like nobody's business. And uh, she was also good at uh, trying to get a beer from the fridge. Now, that's a sporting dog. Well, that is pretty good. <laughs> this texture says, I had a part dash and that I had to lock up when the meter reader came. I kept her in my house for half an hour. She would hunt him down and bite him and come home. A dog with an attitude. Wow. And Dan says, uh, read in honor of International Dog Day, my dog Yogi would have excelled in the marathon. A 12-year-old Shih Tzu Bishan Cross has only missed five known days without at least one walk during the day. He is a machine with a lifetime average of around two hours per walk. That's a common time Yogi walks me during your show while I listen with a portable radio. Well, Dan and Yogi, uh, thank you for listening. That is really cool. Yogi with a lot of energy. Probably could do a marathon. 42.2K, I think Yogi would win the K9 category. Absolutely. You can text 630-630. Andrew Luck, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, formerly, he retired on the weekend to discuss from 1070 The Fan in Indy. We welcome back to Inside Sports, Kevin Bowen. Kevin, how are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the show again. And our topic is the same player who was the topic of our conversation a couple of years ago, and that was uh, when he was battling injury, and now he is retiring at, at a relatively young age. So let me, let me start this way. I'll, I'll ask you to fill in the blank with a sentence or a paragraph of your own. When I heard Andrew Luck was retiring i thought blank (laughs) go ahead kevin (laughs) i thought i was being duped uh fake account nightmare april fool's day i can fill in the blank with a lot of things hell i could fill in the blank of a few cuss words as well um just just shocked you know stunned you're in disbelief that i just looked down on the field and there's andrew luck right there on the sideline and he's retiring from the nfl at the age of 29 no surgeries in two and a half years, no serious head injuries, 
throughout his career. One concussion, that was on a short week where he missed a game. And that's it. I was, I was stunned beyond belief. So, I mean, there was, because sometimes this thing happens and there might, maybe there was a report from three weeks ago or three days ago that you might have poo-pooed and then you think, well, okay, I guess. So, like, there was no inkling, there was no smoke starting to leak out of the chimney or anything like that. Yeah, uh, maybe a little, but again, not enough for me to actually think he was retiring from the NFL. You know, Andrew Luck has been very candid um, over the last couple of, weeks throughout the offseason just the emotional toll that the shoulder issues took on him and how that's so prevalent in his mind and things like that I would say some of the smoke maybe happened a week ago Saturday when Andrew Luck uh, during the preseason game participated in warm-ups and looked like a quarterback that was nearing his return to practice we're talking lateral movement side-to-side stuff um, throwing the football in the field at Lucas Oil Stadium I mean looked like a guy I was going to get back to practice, eased back into it the very next week. And that would have been this past week. And when he did, when he did not practice on Tuesday of last week, that's when my antennas went up just a little bit of like, this does not add up right now. Why is he not out there? And you try to dig a little bit, and the Colts are pretty mum on it. And lo and behold, here we are, you know, a week later, and he's retired from the NFL. I still didn't think that, but I thought maybe there was another setback in this rehab so uh, look the one of the stories that started circulating was the booing in the stadium when fans started catching wind of the announcement look give me a sense of the magnitude and and viciousness of of the booing i hope you're going to tell me that it you know perhaps wasn't wasn't that fierce but how, how would you describe it yeah, this story could not have been more blown out of proportion. Um, week three of a preseason game in the NFL, there's barely anyone left in the stadium. And I honestly think the booing was less to do with luck and more so to do with how the Colts have handled this and the fact that think about who was left at a week three preseason game in the fourth quarter. These are the passionate of the passionate fans. And I think their booing is the shock and awe of that guy just retired from the NFL and he's on the sideline. And the Colts have not done a great job in the court of public opinion with some of the information they maybe have led on past Andrew Luck injuries. So I think the raw emotion of a few fans, I cannot stress that enough. There's maybe a couple hundred people left in Lucas Oil Stadium at that point of the game. So when a handful, 10, 15 people boo, you hear it. There's no music playing after the end of the preseason game. No, you know, fireworks. The Colts lost the game. I mean, it, it, it just, unfortunately, it's gotten way too much of uh, national, international attention than it, than it should. Kevin Bowen from 1070, the fan in Indianapolis, joining us then on Inside Sports, talking about the sudden retirement of Colts quarterback Andrew Luck. So tell us a little bit about uh, about Luck's personality, though, that, that would, like, obviously he was injured, but, but a lot of players are injured. And, and, and I'm not and I'm not going down the road of any flaw or any weakness, but it takes a certain type of person at that age to say, I'm actually comfortable stepping away. Like, is that, is he one of these guys, he's equipped for life after football, it's, it's not everything about his existence? Like, I'm just wondering what you can, if you can flesh him out for us a little bit. Well, certainly. I mean, from a financial standpoint, he's pretty well off. You know, made nearly $100 million, son of an NFL quarterback, an unbelievable college education, a major in architectural 
engineering, all those things, um, suit up, you know, or have Andrew Luck on a pretty good path post-football life. And I would say where this all changed, so this is a four-year pain cycle Andrew Luck has gone through. It was kind of a shoulder issue 2016, 2015 through 2017, and then lately it's been this calf turned into ankle. And basically he vowed to himself, those are his words, he vowed to himself if he ever suffered through pain again and had to rehab and had to do some things from a physical sense to try and play on Sundays, play at less than 100%, all the things that go into NFL players making the sacrifices that they do from a physical sense to play week in and week out, Andrew Luck was no longer willing to make those sacrifices. Um, you know, He was very candid with us all throughout the process that he called himself kind of a mean SOB when he had the shoulder injury, and he felt like the physical wear and tear – was so tormenting himself that he was missing the game of football that it impacted his personal life, his relationships maybe with his wife or as a sibling or as a son, those sorts of relationships. And he no longer wanted to fight that pain. He said he vowed to himself that the next time he endured that, he would choose himself. And he chose himself on Saturday night. You know, obviously, you know, you you and me both being in talk radio, we, we hear from fans a lot. We interact with fans. I, I, I'm going to ask you a question sometimes I hate getting, and that is about sort of, uh, you know, fan reaction or a consensus because I know when people say to me, well, how did Oilers fans feel about this? I can say, well, okay, 60% feel this way, but that that's still a pretty large 40% that might feel the other way. But I'm just wondering if there's a, a consensus that you get a, a sense of or, or maybe a, a call or two, you know, from a Colts fan that, that is really stuck with you in terms of what people are saying. Yeah, you know, fans are certainly frustrated. I think um, some are a bit bitter how late in the process Andrew Luck waited, you know, two weeks until the start of the regular season. Um, there are guys that go into training camp every year that I think debate the sort of things Andrew Luck was debating, and they see if they can give it a go, and if not, they retire. They obviously just don't have the same sort of magnitude like Andrew Luck. So I think fans don't love the timing of it. I think the vast majority of it, of them get what is going on with Andrew Luck and realize this is much more of a mental health sort of thing. But it's tough, I think, for fans in this market to realize and grasp because, you know, for those that have watched Andrew Luck play the game of football over the last eight seasons, he plays the game like a linebacker. He plays the game with a reckless abandon. He is a physically um, imposing quarterback with how he plays the game, for lack of a better term. I mean, he hopes dive and make tackles for guys that are returning interceptions and he'll kind of lower his shoulder a bit to try and get first downs and he's not afraid to scramble and take hits and he embraces contact more than most quarterbacks and so that's I think what's hard for fans to understand is when Andrew Luck straps on a helmet they see one of the toughest quarterbacks in the league that's played through a torn labrum played through a lacerated kidney played through fractured ribs but that was the old Andrew Luck the new age Andrew Luck still plays the game of football and showed last year pretty aggressively, but when it comes to a pain tolerance, pain threshold, he's just no longer willing to make the same sacrifices that he was willing to make, you know, four and five years ago to play the game that he desperately loves. 
Okay, last one for you, Kevin. You're going to love me for asking you this one. What was your win prediction for the Colts season on Friday, and what is it now? Yeah, it's just a great, <laughs> great question. Um, I, I, you know, I think I had it at 11. Uh, set the over under at 10 and a half with Andrew Luck under center. And I would say now I'd set the over under at eight and a half and I would pick eight wins. The Colts have a nice team for sure. Uh, a much better equipped team to handle a catastrophic situation like this compared to maybe, um, Jacoby Brissett's first run again, being a starter here in Indianapolis in 2017, but I still think it's a really tough schedule. So I'll go with eight wins. They will try and thrive in the underdog role for a second straight season the only difference is you don't have one of the best quarterbacks in the league leading you well kevin uh it's great to have you on the show a really fascinating story and uh, i'm sure one you're going to be talking about for a, a long long time in that city thanks a lot for checking in yeah thanks for having me on again i appreciate it that is kevin bowen covers the indianapolis colts for espn radio in Indianapolis, so he clarified the the booing situation, but Andrew Luck deciding to move on. He turns uh, 30 coming up in the fall here, but he will no longer play in the National Football League. That's that's a fascinating one. Great player, had uh, some spectacular seasons for the Colts, but the injuries mounting, and he decides to walk away. You can text what you think to 630-630. We'll hear a little bit more from Connor McDavid as we roll along tonight. Don't forget the Eskimos Coaches Show with Jason Moss and Morley Scott is at 7.30 this evening, and uh, Callahoo in the spotlight again. You'll find out why when we get back. Captain Connor McDavid attending the start of the BioSteel camp today in Toronto. However, he did not skate, though he did say he's been skating for a couple of months and training with former NHLer Gary Roberts as McDavid hoping to come back strong from that knee injury he suffered in the final game of the regular season against the Calgary Flames. He was asked about uh, one of the Oilers' big moves this offseason getting James Neal for Milan Lucic. Obviously disappointing to see a, a good friend in Luch go. Um, and he was someone that I got close with on the team. Um, you know, great guy, uh, great family as well. Um, you know, definitely going to miss them, but um, you know, Neal has got a lot of upside. You know, he's a guy who's won a lot in this league. He scored a lot in this league. Um, obviously a down year last year, but you know, he's training up at Gary's and, and you know, he's, he's working as hard as I've ever seen him work. So um, that's good to see. All right, a little bit there from Connor McDavid. Of course, we are the voice of the Oilers and the Eskimos, our next live sports broadcaster. Are we looking at Labor Day already, Calgary? Or Kellen? Eskimos at Calgary, 1 o'clock countdown to kickoff game at 2.30. All right, well, I, I got to say, this is quite a story for Callahoo. They, uh, they got the Stanley Cup coach in Craig Berube, and for the second year in a row, they got a team winning a national title. The coach of that team is Al Schwartz. Al, thanks for making time for me tonight. How are you doing? Good, thank you. You? I'm doing well. So for the second straight year, the Calhoun Aarons are the national champs when it comes to women's 
Fast pitch. Uh, th- this is pretty awesome stuff. I mean, tell us a little bit about uh, the winning the tournament. Was, were these a lot of, uh, you know, close winning your last at bat type games? Were you in control? How did it go? Well, there, there was nine teams, so we were guaranteed six games. We basically won five and lost one. We lost one of the Saskatchewan teams, but um, most of the games were not that close. We we would win six one or you know eight nothing or something. But uh, the the one game against Cardiff, we, uh, we they beat us three to one, and then there was uh, three teams tied five and one, and the and then they had to go to plus minus, and we came in second on the plus minus, so which gave us the one two game. And we won that uh, five to one over uh, Saskatchewan, and then uh, we had to sit back and wait for the rest of them to come through the B side. Then we beat them again the next day, five to three for the championship. So, uh, <clears throat> a lot, lot of good teams, but you know you got to have pitching to win, and we had the right pitching and, and uh, the right hits at the right time, which makes a big difference, you know. What well, was this? Pretty much the same team as last <clears throat> year, or did you have a lot of turnover on the roster? Uh, no, there was basically I think about uh, two two girls that didn't play last year, and uh, one of them ended up being the, uh, a younger kid that came from Lloyd Minister to play with us. Uh, she was a top batter, the one day a top batter at the tournament. She batted 600, which is a pretty good batting average. So uh, it makes a difference when you pick up a good kid like that. But basically the same team, same pitching and everything. So. All right. So tell me a little bit about about the Callahoo Aaron's. I mean, Callahoo's not a a very big community. So how do you uh, how do you assemble this team and keep it going so strong? Well, I started the team in '88, uh, and uh, that's funny because we played in St. John's, Newfoundland in '88, and we won the nationals there. And then, uh, you know, 31 years later, we're back in Newfoundland and we won the nationals again. But uh, the Callahoo team was uh, there was. Um, Way back in '88, there was a good friend of my name, of Ruby, who owns Callahoo Meats. He he asked me to coach a Callahoo team, and I kind of been coaching them ever since. But uh, be honest with you, there really isn't anybody from Callahoo anymore. We're just we stuck with the name because it's always been good to us. So we've got uh, yeah, half of our team is from Calgary, the other half is from Edmonton. But in, in those days, there was a Shelley Ruby uh, that uh, pitched on the national team. She pitched for us, and she's the one. She was the one from Callahoo, and she kind of made us famous at the beginning of the. You know, when we first started, and then we just got lucky and got good pitching after that, and good coaching, of course. You know. Well, I think the coaching's been outstanding, but you know, oh, you yeah. got you got the buy-in. You got the buy-in, as we like to say. And, and Shelley Baruby, part of Craig's extended family. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I guess that would was Shelley's dad. I guess that would be our niece, or I mean, I guess a nephew. I guess something like that. But uh, I know they had Craig there at Callahoo, and he was there with us with the cup and. Man, it was all over Facebook for a week after that. So I'm pretty sure they all had a great. I'm sure they all had a great time with Craig there. So <clears throat> I, I didn't know they were St. Louis fans, but they are now. So yeah, well, they they convert pretty quickly when the, when the when the team does that well. How would you describe how, how how strong is is women's fast pitch in the country now? Like, is it still going pretty strong, or are there are there pockets <clears throat> where it's it's played pretty heavily? How would you sum that up? I would uh, I would say that it's uh, unfortunately it's not as uh, at the senior A level where we are it's not as strong as it used to be. Uh, you know, back in '88, every province had a team, and most of them were really quite good. Uh, now, I mean, you can you know, you, unfortunately, the maritime teams are uh, they're trying their best, but they're not that good. And then Ontario is quite good, and Saskatchewan is good, and and then of course we're pretty good. But uh, for some reason, I mean, if it's a Newfoundland, of course BC can't afford to go there. 
<clears throat> but normally BC has pretty good ball, but that's a big expense. They cost us over thirty grand to get to Newfoundland, oh, wow. so I'm sure the sure the BC teams couldn't afford it. So, uh, but I I would say unfortunately at the senior A level, I hope it's hope it's going to pick up here at the minor level, and then eventually it'll be back to where it was many years ago. But uh, I, I would say it's not as not as competitive as it used to be. That's for sure. All right. Well, Al, thanks for thanks for the update. Thanks for letting us know how you won the tournament. This was what uh, last weekend, I guess, eight days ago in, in St. John's. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. and uh, two years in a row. So if we get lucky and win it again next year, then we're getting softball Canada Hall of Fame, which is oh. which is that's kind of our gear right now to try to make it into the Hall of Fame. So well, and you'd be on Inside Sports again because we had one of your players on last year, and you're on this year. So that's that that that's pretty cool. Thanks for the update. I know you got a no sporting problem. event of your own to attend tonight, so I appreciate. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, take care. Right on. That is Al Schwartz checking in, head coach of the Callahoo Aarons Senior Women's Fast Pitch Team. They are national champions once again. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.